0: Welcome to the round 18 super coach, coach podcast. I'm Marcus and this week joined by Dunny. Welcome back. Thanks mate. Good to be back. And CJ, welcome back to the show. Hey folks, long to hear you all. We are... Fresh off uh, you pulling into a healthy lead in front of me, CJ. so a uh, little little bit salty about that. Why don't you kick us off with how your weekend went?
1: I had a reasonable week. I scored two thousand four hundred and sixty four,
0: which pushed me
1: just inside the top two thousand. Um, in there by the skin of my teeth. Decided to pass on Clayton Oliver's one hundred and twenty four, and really nailed the pick with Rory Laird's one hundred and twenty five. That's probably the cleverest thing I did all week. Fought in Bailey Dale for the injured Aaron Hall, which didn't go particularly well, but it was better than copying Jacob Ware's 36. Coverage is awful, but yeah, we'll see if we can cling on to take the Chockies in the podcaster stakes.
2: Dunny, how'd you go on the weekend? 2,318. I had a pretty ordinary week. Thankfully, I only dropped about 300 spots in the ranking. So I'm sitting at about 3,300 at the moment, which I'm pretty happy with. Like CJ, I gave up uh, Oliver's 124 to take Lockie Neal's 89. So oh. that was a great decision. But look, overall, I've had a pretty good run in the last few weeks. Um, made a lot of places up on the buyers and pushing for a reasonable sort of result this season.
0: So I s- bottom scored out of the three of us with a 2283. I decided to hold another week of aaron hall with the anticipation of being able to use himmelberg as cover this week uh, that backfired to the tune of a hundred points in a single week which is about as worst case as i could have hoped for uh d'ambrosio got a corky to the back of his quad instead of taking a really easy disposal which was extra frustrating and uh they got subbed out for the last quarter which was I was feeling so smug about him beating Ware's score, and he scored 36 points as well. So that was <laughs> sweet, sweet justice. Uh, Walsh, 88. Petrarca, 91. Dawson, 80. Uh, There's just a few PODs that did not fire. But Himmelberg continuing to do okay, despite being chucked around throughout the game. Still managed the 98s, playing forward, ruck, and in the backline, as has been the case the last three weeks. Pity you can't get triple position status. <laughs> <Marcus>. <laughs> yeah. He'd be close to eligible for that, I reckon. Uh, but I'll take the forward def swing anyway and uh, bring in cover for Aaron Hall, who is now going to miss this week, which is not entirely unpredictable. In terms of our Supercoach Coach Group, top score there for the week was 24.89 for our Patreon group with Rowan's team YNWA. In our Super Coach, Coach Group, top score there was 2507 Ben's team, the Aristocrats. It's a round rank of 121, so congrats on that big score. In terms of the overall stakes, Tyler's Shep Screamers sitting just outside the top 20 at 26th, and Jimmy's team, Hungry Haracross 9th, continue to cheer Jimmy along. He asks questions for the show most weeks, and... uh Got a question from him to kick off the show so why don't we get straight into that he's asking for the week would like to hear you guys discuss the merits in trading and holding clayton oliver and how that changes pending your cover so there are some teams out there with spare premiums i'm going to be moving that way this week and it does change the equation fairly substantially having a spare premium versus not he certainly will play next week, but he's a very small chance of even still playing this week. Uh, and he's the highest averaging super coach player for 2022 so far. And I think he'll continue to hold that mantle. So pretty tough to warrant trading out Oliver. I think the only reason why that may be attractive, his price tag, he's at 722,000. So if you Trade him to a Jack Steele. That's 150k that you could use in your team elsewhere. I'm pretty sure that'd be the only reason outside of maybe copying a donut that you consider trading Oliver. What do you jets reckon? Have you considered trading Oliver at all? Or Was he too risky to trade out? Uh, I'm in the position where I don't
2: have much in the way of a bench for cover with players like Macom and unless Judson Clark gets back. So I'm in a bit of a hole, but I am in the lovely position of having five trades left still. So I could trade him out and get him back if I wanted to. I think, as you said there, Marcus, it really comes down to what sort of bench cover you've got uh, as to whether you would trade him out. If you've got, as you said, a spare premium, I'd certainly be holding him. If I can get someone like a McComb or a Clark uh, named on field this week, uh, I'd probably almost roll the dice and hold because... If you look at uh, Clayton Oliver's potential scoring, you know in the remaining five games versus who you're going to bring in, that's the really the decision you need to make. What's he going to score versus what a Jack Steele's going to score, and what can you do with that other 150k? Uh, if you think you can equal or better his points, then absolutely go ahead and trade. Uh, it's not the silliest idea, but just be prepared to wear 180 or 190 dropped on your head in those last few weeks when he goes big and you don't have him. Uh, what do you think, CJ?
1: It's pretty tough, particularly because Oliver's three and five round averages are both over 140. He's really kind of eclipsing the scoring of almost anyone else in the game, which is kind of exacerbated by the fact that he's a really safe captaincy pick oh. every single week. I know a lot of us have had some fairly difficult captain choices this week. I know some people passed when he's 125 or 124 for Neil and yeah, got burnt pretty badly this week. So the safety of having a reliable captain for the last kind of five weeks of the year is pretty valuable. I think if you're in a position where you're absolutely copying a donut this week and you do have five or so trades, I could definitely see a world in which you could entertain trading Oliver out. Um, And then potentially if you could kind of package up doing a downgrade somewhere and then upgrading like a Patrick Cripps or if you've got Jaden Short in your midfield for some reason, if you could upgrade an underperforming player back to Oliver, then I'd be pretty happy to use trades as an aggressive way like that but yeah everyone's kind of in the same boat he's probably a a hold to me if you have cover because yeah he'll probably chase down the 50 points you lose on a rookie score versus a premium Mm. this week he'd probably chase that down in five weeks on almost any premium like I'd say he's probably averaging 10 points more per game than most other players
2: yeah definitely agree with that CJ Marcus what are you going to do with him
0: hold i would have loved to cover him with a premium that makes it a very easy decision but i think you're right in saying if you bring in a premium that can average 115 and you have a rookie that ends up scoring 50 that's 65 points that you gain in one week even if oliver averages 125 versus a 115 for the remaining five rounds after that you're talking 50 points regained off 65 so you're spending a whole trade on 15 points and oliver could burn you even harder than that i guess the only caveat to that is like are there any premiums that you see being able to match oliver on the run home that you may not have so what if you don't have a rory led and you think he can do 125 on the run home i think maybe he's the only player who looks consistent enough and the um, Crows do have a great
2: run home as well. They've got West Coast, North Melbourne, Port, and I think Coll- and Collingwood this week, who are one of the teams who are giving up a lot of points. So he's probably the only player I would consider, but I'm also in the boat of probably going to hold.
0: Yeah, I, I don't mind the suggestion that CJ had. If you have a defender or a forward in your midfield, and some teams have ended up with that setup. Then Oliver to steal and then swapping out your worst performing defender or forward out of the midfield back to Oliver. If you have five or more trades, also seems like a good idea. You're essentially swapping, you know, defender or forward to uh, midfield premium uh, and then picking up an extra premium score in the process of doing that. So... I feel like that could net you potentially close to 150 points, um, which is pretty hard to come by at this stage of the season. So I don't mind that as uh, an option as well.
2: Yeah, I think the key to that one, as you said, is the number of trades you've got left. If you've only got three or four trades left and we've still got six weeks to go, it becomes that
0: little bit riskier. Yeah. Would you swallow a donut? Probably not. No. (laughs) All right, this question here is from William Miller. He's got four trades remaining. Now, one thing we haven't talked about is, is it worth burning two to bring in an extra premium? Uh, Or do you prefer to hold the trades? So I'm in a situation where I'm looking to go down to probably two trades to bring in an extra cover this week as well. So I'm definitely a fan of that move. And I think... Four trades is the minimum you'd want to go down to two. I wouldn't go three down to one. If you have three trades and you can hit a decent swing player with one trade. So if you have a bit of cash in bank and you can hit Taranto or Heaney types at 440, then I think that would be worth considering as well. Yeah, agreed.
2: You, You don't want to go any lower than that on your trades for this.
0: I think a big part
1: of it's how much that player can cover as well. Like if really? you're if you're just bringing in a guy who's able to cover, say, you know, only two positions, I would probably prefer just to do a trade out and then a trade in rather than bringing an extra premium. But if you could bring in a guy who's likely to give you cover across all four or three lines, depending on the way your DPP
0: works, then I think having the extra premium cover is definitely a worthwhile situation. Hmm. I'd say like three would be what you're looking at. So if you have English or Cameron or Goldstein in the forwards, most people have a forward mid, that looks quite good. Or if you have a Himmelberg as well. Yeah. In my situation, he's covering four lines. So it makes it extra attractive to risk going down mm-hmm. to two trades, but you're right. If it only covers two lines, then going down to two trades and having two vulnerable lines probably isn't as attractive and yeah. you would pr- probably prefer to just single trade and, and keep the extra one in that mm-hmm. case. All right, next question. This one's from Brendan Rogers. His original plan was to trade Luke Jackson to Stephen Cornelio, but seeing the news of Oliver, that will leave him with Brody Hoff for cover. So instead he's thinking about keeping Jackson as floating cover and instead looking to bring in Tim Taranto. Quite a few people who brought in Luke Jackson a couple of weeks ago, and now that Gorn's back in are wondering, what do they do with Luke Jackson?
1: It's a tough um, kind of conundrum there. Jackson's probably likely to go back to averaging about 75 or 80 with Gorn in the side. That's roughly where he was kind of earlier in the season. You're kind of weighing up fairly close maths there. But then again, having the extra kind of coverage player for the rest of the season does save you a a trade down the line. So you could be more aggressive with upgrading a player towards the end of the season. I'd probably lean towards holding
0: Jackson's floating
1: cover because he does cover Ruxney forwards, which is quite helpful.
0: I hadn't really looked at what Cogs was averaging across the last seven rounds and, um, yeah, it's like one. this second? I think he was the
1: second highest averaging player post his like 30-something game. The only guy Ooh. who scored more, I think, is Clayton Oliver.
2: As a yeah. Cog owner, I'm pretty happy with that, uh, that outcome, really. But your advice there, CJ, I think I'd echo those thoughts. That's probably what I would do as well.
0: Yeah, that's particularly tough. I think if you're going down to three trades, uh, it feels like having – Jackson as cover with potentially ability to loophole between Jackson and Taranto, hopefully go some way of matching Cogs' score. It's reasonably line ball though, uh, in that Cogs probably will outperform Taranto. And so you're basically tossing up between Jackson scoring more than Hoff this round being enough of a lead to hold off Cogs outscoring Taranto on the run home with Jackson as a loophole. I like having the idea of having a floating loophole to cover multiple players, so I, I would probably lean toward that, but I think it's so line ball that you probably take the play that you prefer. Hmm. Taranto probably has more question marks on him with hmm. Hopper returning than Cogs because Taranto probably is equally impacted by Hopper if not more so. Uh, For those trading out Oliver, uh, Jimmy's looking for best replacement options. What do you reckon for those trading out Clayton Oliver?
2: Look, for me, I think we mentioned it earlier, uh, Rory Laird is definitely the one that I'd be going for. Um, Like I said, the Crows have got a great run home and he's been showing some great form recently as well. Uh, He'd be the one that uh, I'd be certainly targeting from there. The other one I'd I like is obviously Steele. He's come back pretty strongly from his injury. Uh, I must admit, I haven't looked at his price, so I'm not sure where that sits at the minute, but they'd be
0: the two guys that I would be targeting with a very strong bias towards Laird. The guy chuck in there is Tuke, been on fire. He's averaging 131 from the last five games, including three of the scores above 130. And on the run home, he's got Essendon, West Coast, Hawthorne, and North to come with Brisbane and Geelong being the tougher game. So yeah. and pretty favorable draw. So
2: Took's about 43% owned at the moment, roughly. So you'd be covering off a lot of other coaches if you did bring him in, if you don't have him already. And it might yeah. be uh, definitely in your favor to do that. Just to throw a couple of stats in on Laird, he's currently in about 15%, 16% of sides, which is makes him a bit of a unique for you. Uh, and since he's by, he's averaging 131.
0: Yeah, if you don't have Laird... Like he's Easy definitely, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the most, in fact, like a probably almost wouldn't trade Oliver unless you didn't have led. Yeah, I, mean. I think the risk level compared to everyone else is just so much higher. Yeah. So if you yeah. take away the first game back, it's one fourteen plus, except for a 105 game against St Kilda.
2: Yeah.
0: it's just bananas.
2: That first game back, he scored a 93. So it wasn't as if he was terrible then either,
0: so <laughs> yeah. All right, next one, final upgrade that JB's looking at, comparing Callum Mills to Jack Steele. Interesting one because we we didn't talk about Mills. He has dropped off a little bit, but in terms of average for the season, 119, so right up there. Definitely pumped up by uh, the 214 that he scored against Hawthorne in round six, but Nonetheless, uh, still one of the sort of punchiest scoring options. Last few weeks, probably yeah. a big reason why people have called on him: 86, 85 and then the 138. And mm. he has been chucked around a little bit more into the back line as well over the last sort of month and a half that we probably weren't seeing prior to that point. I probably have Steele ahead of Mills at this stage in line with sort of what we were suggesting on Oliver replacements but uh, get your gents thoughts on Callum Mills. I tossed up Breen Mills
2: in a couple of weeks ago uh, ended up going with Walsh uh, mainly because he does have that propensity to, to have that lower score a little bit more often although Walsh dropped one on me this week but yeah you know, you're right he does get thrown around a bit more. I think with Steele you're more likely pretty much what you're going to get you're going to get you won 10 to 125 out of steel every week, but I think you're probably going to get a random big score from Mills, like your one thirty eight that so he's had two of now since his buy, but he's also going to drop an 80 on you every now and then as well. So if you're looking for the consistency, I'm going with the steel. What about you, CJ?
1: Yeah, I, I would also pick steel. <laughs> I love Jack Steel. I have had him in my super coach side the last two years, and he's been a big part of me doing reasonably well in the last two seasons. It pains me not to have him at all this year. He's kind of the mid that I would like to have in my side the most that I'm currently missing, which is, I think, a fairly big call considering I don't have McCRae either. I like Mills. I think he has a really good ceiling, but he's definitely um, prone to a low, low score. I'd edge Steel over him, but I wouldn't fault anyone for taking Mills no. over, over Steel.
0: Yeah, great. Final question in the midfield. Is it too risky to touch Patrick Dangerfield as a value option? One of our patrons, Darren, is wondering whether or not he should go there. He's also asking about the injury risk that he carries. He's at 438,000, so very, very cheap. Since coming back 96 against North Melbourne and then 114 against the Titans. That one fourteen could have been two hundred if he kicked straight. Jeez, <laughs> he was butchering the
1: football in front of goal. I went to that game and just spray city. Pretty normal I mean,
0: for him, though.
1: Yeah, he's a shocking set shot. He's probably the worst one in Geelong side, I reckon, uh, with the exception of maybe Jack Collard If you're bringing in danger as your M eight, I'm not hugely into it. I think he's a pretty valid option as a like spare premium the past few years he gets a lot of champion data love when he kicks long and it goes to a target but he's such a wasteful kick of the football sometimes that he will occasionally just have games where he has like eight clangers and just absolutely torpedoes any chance of a good score he's almost like a key forward in that way and then he has like a high ceiling and and a low floor so I mean if you're in a situation where you kind of down to two trades left and you still haven't finished your side, you need to get a get an M8 in, then he's probably one of the best picks at that price point. But unless he's kind of your M9, I'm not really uh, advocating going there.
2: Yeah, I think you hit it on the head there, CJ. If you can bring him in as your M9, particularly this week with Oliver out, uh, once Oliver comes back, you can then look to loop him because I'm assuming Geelong, like they normally do, get a lot of Friday night games or early Saturday games, you know, if you can loop him off the bench as your M9, then that would be a good play. But uh, once again, only if you've got uh, a reasonable number of trays left. So if it was going to take you down to three, maybe two, it would give you that good cover in the mids across that. But I, I'm with you, CJ. I don't think I'd want him as an M8. I think he'd be better as a loop player and a, and a bit of a cover.
0: Yeah, I don't hate him as a cover, but even then, I, I just, I don't think I would even touch him. If you're going to get cover, I'd rather afford cover because most Ooh. people have a forward lead, yeah. which means that they cover multiple lines. So yes. I'd, I'd even take a Heaney or a Taranto over Dangerfield. Yeah. All right. Uh, final question from the One-Eyed Eagles for the week's show. He had Miller as his VC last week and decided not to take his score because he had Lockie Neal. Theoretical question because <laughs> it would depend Out. on who you have. But what would you use as a reasonable pass score for a VC loophole. And I, I know you chuckled there, but you passed up a 124. Oh, I did. So I yeah, my line's really... at
1: 125. My <laughs> line is at 125. It's a hard line. Scientifically calculated. It is a pristine line at 125. It look exactly where we got
2: it. Yeah, I, I think for me, I was very, very close to taking uh, the 124 from Clary. I just thought the matchup of Neil VS, and then I thought he could pull out one of his big ones, particularly at home. But generally, you know, anything definitely north of 130, I'm taking every day of the week. And 125, I seriously consider them. But you're right, it comes down to what matchup and who you've got left to play at the time. But
1: You know, I think this happened last week as well with Clayton Oliver against Adelaide. I think if you're so convinced that someone is going to have an absolutely bonkers score against an opponent, find a way to VC them. Go and then just pick your next best. Like everyone should be at full premium. As long as it's not the last game of the round, you should still be able to find someone who's a pretty safe bet for a 110 average. Like a lot of, even like Canelio has been pretty darn consistent. You're like F5 is probably consistent enough to whack the C on if you're convinced that someone like Neil's going to go bananas. There's no point putting the VC on someone if you're not going to take 135 points. The same thing happened last week with McCrane to Oliver. Generally, I try and put my VC on the guy I think is going to score the best for the
0: rounds, mm. and then the C you can kind of work out after that. I just find it funny that like you draw such a hard and clear line about eleven <laughs> points. I mean, like <laughs> one thirty-five—that's bonkers. One twenty-four. I mean, it is, it is. just sensible. <laughs> I mean, it is more of an art than a sides. I think yeah. I do think there's a good call on like who is your backup option. If your backup option is Laird or Oliver this season, they've looked pretty safe for a 120 plus. So your downside's reasonably low. Um, whereas Neil, even though he's averaging really well, he's been a little bit more prone to a 90 or a hundred yeah. type game than the other two players. So you. Probably I'm more happy to risk Oliver on Laird than risk Oliver on Neil. Also because Neil gets tagged ahead of Laird does in terms of that risk equation. So it does depend a little bit. In general, I think 115 to 120, I'm reasonably on edge of keeping already. I think, you know, that ultra premium midfield score is about the line I look to in terms of what's reasonable to start keeping 120 plus generally feels safe enough to warrant keeping unless you're in a situation where uh the highest scoring potential player plays in the last round and i think we've seen that before with oliver playing on the sunday and clearly looking like the best option against adelaide and then ending up scoring 160 or whatever so it does depend a little bit week to week but Uh, Yeah, probably 115 to 120 is the minimum that I start to keep. 120 to 125 probably end up keeping half of the time. But you're right in saying like, even though (laughs) I did joke about the line being so close, like 135 is almost always a keep. It's just right at the upper end of what most premiums can achieve on a regular week. It's beyond the top averaging premium for the season so far and Oliver's 130 plus is generally pretty safe keep. Thank you, gents, for another hmm. big show. I think we ended up recording a fair bit with uh, all of that uh, hypothesizing on Oliver. <laughs> hopefully, he just plays okay, yeah, hopefully. this week. would <laughs> yeah,
2: nice. be really great.
0: <laughs> anyway, thanks, gents, and uh, good luck to our community for uh, next week. See ya. See ya, bro. Thank you. Don't this crazy. Don't this crazy. Don't this crazy.